helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Jesus is moving among these people, and he sees them, and he describes them as harassed and helpless, shepherdless. He's traveling throughout this whole chapter in Matthew 9. He's traveling around from village to village and town to town, and he's interacting with people, and he's getting into life with them, and he's getting dirty, and he's engaging with the diseased and the sick. And we see this picture of Jesus among a people who are oppressed and abused, who are sick and dying, who are discouraged and despairing, who are doomed for destruction, truly. He refers to them as shepherdless sheep, lost, harassed, without any direction. And at this time, there was an empire that truly was oppressing them physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. They were an oppressed people. And I think in some ways, the world we live in is actually not that different. The world we live in today, we see people who are oppressed and harassed and helpless all over the place. If you walk through East Atlanta Village on a Friday or Saturday night, you will see harassed and helpless, shepherdless people. Jesus sees them, and he's filled with compassion. He's filled with pity and a sincere longing for them to be restored. I'm wondering, how can, how can you relate to the state of these people? In what way can you, coming in here today, maybe, maybe it's because of COVID, maybe there's some financial issues, maybe it's an employment issue, but in what way can you relate to these people who are harassed, helpless, confused, lost, discouraged, despairing? And so Jesus interacts with them, and we see these pictures of he becomes a friend to the friendless. He becomes a healer to the sick. He brings people back from dead. The passage before this, he brings a girl back from death. Jesus comes along and he says, I'm going to bring good news because you have a world full of bad news. And the good news is this. The kingdom of God is coming and you have an opportunity to be part of it. Jesus comes as a comforter, a defeater of demons and spiritual oppression. He comes as a resurrector and a savior. Jesus sees these people and he enters in to their realities. I'm curious, which of these aspects of Jesus do you long to relate with? Is it healing? Is it freedom? Is it comfort? That the Jesus of the Bible here is someone who sees our needs and our weaknesses and enters in with compassion. Several years ago, I was driving through my hometown and uh, a small town. I grew up in a very small town, but I was driving down a road and I looked to the side and and I noticed there's a guy stumbling, bleeding, walking down the road. And my, I remember it so clearly. My first intuition was, man, I hope somebody helps that guy out. <laughs> and, and in that moment, as those words came to my mind, I realized, who's going to help this guy? And so I stopped, 
and I, I, I did something that was a risk. I pulled over, and I walked up to the guy, and I said, man, you're clearly hurt. What happened? Are you okay? And I said, let's, stop, let's sit down, man. And I called 911, and, and while we're waiting for uh, the, an, a medic to show up, an EMT, I just tell me what happened. What's going on? And he proceeded to share how he had just been beaten up by these guys over a gambling issue. So I'm thinking, wow, this guy's got a gambling problem, and it led to him nearly being beaten to death. And I said, where are you walking? And he had no idea. He just was wandering, stumbling. And the EMTs show up, and, and they're able to help him and minister to him. And I just think this was a picture to me of the needs that actually exist all around us all the time. Maybe it was a very drastic physical representation, but people are wounded and hurting and wandering and lost all around us. And there was little I could do for that guy in the moment other than comfort him and point him to someone who could help him more. And Jesus is that one who enters in and says, I see you, and I have compassion on you, and I'm going to enter in with you. What does compassion look like? I love three, three short examples Jesus gives of compassion, where he specifically says, compassion is what led to significant transformation in people's lives. One of the first ones is in Luke 10, 33, where you may be familiar with this story. There is a man who is traveling and has been beaten up by robbers and is left for dead on the side of the road. And a priest walks by and basically says, I hope someone else can help him. And then another ministry worker walks by and says, I hope someone else can help him. And then a Samaritan walks by, and this is what it says. As he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And the most unlikely person entered in and met this guy's needs, took care of him, paid for him to be restored and healed. Another place in the parable of the, the prodigal son, when the, the son has taken his father's inheritance and run away, this is in, in Luke 15, he runs away and spends it all recklessly and, and loses all of his family's inheritance. And he comes back home in shame and guilt, and the father sees him in Luke 15, 20, sees him from far off and is filled with compassion and runs toward him and embraces him and kisses him and brings him back into the family. There are so many examples of this. When Jesus sees the crowds and he feeds the 4,000 or the 5,000, it's because of compassion that he feeds them. What does compassion look like? It's to be moved with action for de and with deep love, with sympathy for someone else. Literally, it means to have suffering that we enter into with suffering. We enter into life with people. Jesus sees our needs for protection and safety, for provision and help, for direction and guidance, and he enters into them with us. He sees the crowds as harassed and helpless and has compassion. And then Jesus follows it up in this story in Matthew 9, he turns to his disciples who are with him. He says, do you see 
these people. We've been, we've been planting seeds of the gospel, the good news that they can have relationship with God and be restored into relationship and reconciled and renewed. And, and, and there are people that are flocking to Jesus and coming to Jesus. The crowds are gathering. And he turns to his disciples and he says, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. There are so many needs that we get to enter in to help. And what Jesus sees is opportunity, not hindrance. He sees opportunity. He sees people who are searching for hope and purpose and longing and meaning and significance. He sees people who are desperate to be loved and to be known. He sees people who are hungry for the truth of the gospel, people who don't know him and his love and his mercy and his compassion and his grace and his kindness, his forgiveness, his goodness, he sees people who are ready to embrace that. And so I wonder when I walk around East Atlanta Village or when I walk around Georgia Tech or when I walk around North Atlanta, I wonder when I walk along the Beltline, what are these people longing for? What are we longing for? What are the needs that the people around us have that only Jesus can meet? The harvest is plentiful, Jesus says. He sees our opportunity. And then he says, but guys, there's a problem. The laborers are few. The laborers are few. Now, I I wonder when we look at this, I have been prone to, to ask this question. When I see the problems of the world, right, which there are many, do I think, A, too many needs and too little resources? We just don't have enough money. We don't have good enough facilities. We don't have programs. There aren't enough professionals out there. There's too many needs, too many problems. It's too overwhelming. And so my tendency is to ignore it often. Or... When Jesus looks at this, he says, there's a lot of work to do, but not enough workers. So, this is the solution. We're going to pray earnestly for workers. The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, and so Jesus says the solution, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. And I wonder why. Why is this such an issue in our culture, in our world, in Christianity, in the church? Why are the laborers few? The workers, the common people, the everyday, ordinary people that live next door to everywhere who are unwilling and, or unable to engage in the calling and the work Jesus has given us. Why? I think there's three things. One, we're preoccupied with the wrong perspective. And I've fallen into this trap many times where I ask the question or I make the statement, it's too blank. It's too hard. It's too costly. It's too risky. It's too dirty. It's too messy. I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I have too much going on. I have too many kids. My marriage is too consuming right now, or my family is too consuming right now, or the lack of people in my life is too burdensome in my life right now. It's too hard. 
And the perspective that we lead with often and that I lead with often is it's too blank. And so therefore, I'm just not going to engage. What's your two? What's your two? I love the uh, Super Bowl Sunday. So I got to uh, shout out to the great theologian, Vince Lombardi. The Lombardi Trophy will be lifted later to some winning team. Vince Lombardi, in something completely unrelated to the gospel, he says, uh, a principle that is absolutely true and applicable and relevant to this. Vince Lombardi, football coach, he says, the price of success is hard work. It's dedication to the job and the mission at hand. It's the determination that whatever the outcome is, whether we win or lose, we have applied the best of ourselves to the task at hand. And I just think, what if we had that perspective when it comes to laboring in this harvest field? When Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, and we say, yes, it's so much work, it's hard work, but you know what? It's worth it. It is worth it. The laborers are few often because the message is missed. And therefore, there are messengers who miss the message. We live in a culture and a time where a false gospel is prevalent all around us. And don't hear me say that this working hard is a response to the gospel. It is working hard with Jesus because of the gospel. There's a false gospel that says work harder, do better, be better, do more. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus did all the work for us on our behalf because we couldn't do it. We couldn't get to him. So he came to us and paid the penalty that we couldn't pay to come into relationship with him. And because of that acceptance and that adoption and that embracement in our lives, we get to join him now in the work that he's given us. But there's a false gospel. <clears throat> We live in a time where vaccine is one of the most common words we use, right? <clears throat> Vaccinated, unvaccinated. How do you inoculate something? You give a vaccine of a weakened, dead, or dying strain to someone to eliminate the virus. How do you eliminate the gospel in our culture? I'm afraid we live in a time where, little by little, in aspects of our world, the gospel is being inoculated. Because people are experiencing a weakened or dying strain of the gospel. The compassion that Jesus shows is anything but a weakened or dying strain of the gospel. The compassion that Jesus shows is an alive and active and transformational and powerful view of the gospel that God is among us to restore us into relationship with him. And I'm afraid that our culture, as we're inoculating COVID, we're also inoculating Christianity, the gospel. The movement of deconstruction, if you've heard of deconstruction, it's People are embracing increasingly a view that 
the views that I had about Christianity, I want to deconstruct and break. And leading people in the church are in that train right now. There's podcasts about it, and, and it's especially prevalent among millennials and in Gen Z, which is alarming because in 10 years, we're going to be in a post-Christian culture that doesn't see this gospel, but sees a broken, dying version that the world has exposed us to. And so the challenge to us is, how do we engage in the mission that Jesus authentically has given us? And here's what Jesus tells us. Pray. Pray earnestly. Pray endearingly. Beg and plead to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers who understand the true gospel and are filled with the power of God, the Spirit of God, and will go out and be the laborers in the world. Pray for those laborers. My kids, every day, remind me what it looks like to beg and plead. (laughs) Treats, screen time. And I think, when was the last time I pleaded with God like my children plead with me? Am I willing to annoy God in my perspective? God's not annoyed by us, by the way. But sometimes we can embrace that idea that I don't want to annoy, I don't want to burden, I don't want to be a nuisance, and so we don't step up to the plate. I think my kids know how to ask for treats. And sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. And when they don't, it's because I know it's better. When I plead with God, am I willing to trust that he will answer as he knows is best? And if he says pray for laborers, you better believe if we pray for them, he's going to send them out. Recently, I was flying, and uh, the security line was obnoxiously long, and I was so frustrated and so annoyed. And finally, after a long time getting through, we got up and we realized the TSA checkpoint only had two lanes open, right? So if you've flown recently, maybe you share this pain. And I asked one of them, I said, why aren't there more lanes open? And the lady said, there's not enough workers. We don't have enough help. How many of you have seen signs around the neighborhood? Hiring, employing, need more help. At the beginning of COVID, uh, my friend who owns the uh, Chick-fil-A here in the village, Jamarian, or in in Glenwood, Jamarian, I said, Jamarian, when are you going to open the restaurant inside? Because I am tired of sitting in the drive-thru line. (laughs) And he said, well, hey, we will open when we have enough workers. They're still not open. There's a lot of other reasons with that. But we see this right now. The reality is we're in a time in our culture there's not enough workers. There's not enough people to do the work that we love and depend on and long for. And it's improving. It's getting better. But next time you're in a situation where you're frustrated or annoyed because there's not enough workers somewhere, may that compel you to pray for laborers. To say, shoot, Chick-fil-A doesn't have enough workers right now. I'm going to pray for workers in the kingdom and maybe some extra Chick-fil-A workers while I'm at it. (laughs) The gospel gets missed. The messengers miss it. But laborers, true laborers, God will unleash all over the world. So Jesus points us back to himself as the solution. 
Jesus doesn't say, pray for more money. Pray for better facilities. Pray for better programs. Pray for more professionals. He says, pray for ordinary, everyday people who will join me in this work. He points it back to himself because he is the Lord of the harvest. It is his harvest field. So let's pray earnestly, sincerely, longingly. My father-in-law helped plant a church in South Carolina, and for years, they bounced from place to place, struggling to get some traction, and he just had, he had a perspective that said, if we can rally the people to pray, I believe that we will be able to see this community transformed. And so he would show up every week to a prayer meeting, and often it would just be him. Often he was the only one. And today, that church is supporting and sending out missionaries all over the world. Do you think they're connected? We don't need more money, although it's nice. We don't need better programs, though they help. We don't need a bigger facility, although sometimes we love that. Jesus says the solution is laborers. And because he had compassion on the harvest... He's inviting us to have compassion with him. And we read this earlier in the assurance of um, pardon, or maybe the, uh, the, the, in the, one of the assurances we read, but I want to close with this. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here's the invitation that we have. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 21, says, for the love of Christ compels us. It controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus' compassion compels our mission. The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Jesus is inviting us to join him, to seek him, to plead with him, to beg him, to yearn for him, to bring the transformation we so desperately long to see in the world. And he wants to empower each of us to be part of that. Will you join me in praying for laborers with compassion for the people he has placed us among? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, this is a hard thing, but so sweet and so beautiful, Father, that we get to join you in your work, your mission, and it's only because of your love and your grace and your compassion, 
And so, Lord, we praise you and we thank you. And so, Father, I pray that you would burden each of our hearts to pray earnestly to you, our Lord, to bring the solution that you have brought forward. Empower us. In Jesus' name, amen.